Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. It says in Exodus chapter 20, it says, The Lord spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Number one, do not have any other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in heaven or on earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their father's sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to the thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, do not not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will punish anyone who misuses his name. Number four, remember to dedicate to dedicate the Sabbath day. You are to labor six days and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your sons or daughters, your male or female slaves, your livestock, or the foreigners who is among you. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it as holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number 10, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you reveal your ways to us so clearly. Therefore, you reveal what you're really like. Lord, help us to grasp that this morning as we consider your very glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and we will be at the end of 33 and the beginning of chapter 34. And so in this passage of Scripture, uh, you have the very scene where God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai, if you remember that. God delivered the children of Israel out of bondage, desiring that they never go back into bondage, okay? Keep that in your mind. Delivered them out of bondage, determining that they never go back into bondage. So he leads them through many trials and tribulations with his presence there, and they end up at Mount Sinai. And there, there is the burning bush that Moses had met earlier. He goes up to Mount Sinai and he's spending time with the Lord. In fact, he's there for several days. And while he is there, the people of Israel, who's down the mountains, long way away, they become impatient. 
and they began to act out as though they were back in bondage. They begin to act as though they never met God and all of his power and all of his glory. And they take a thing like a golden calf, which by the way, a calf for the Jews was actually not a bad thing. It actually is a symbol of atonement, the red heifer, the slaughtering of the calf. And so they took something that God gave them and they turned it into an idol of worship. So 75% of what they had was right. They did it very wrongly. And so we need to be very, very careful in how we worship that we don't take something that is really, really good and twist it to where it's actually something that just feeds us instead of giving glory to God, right? So while he's up meeting with God, he comes back down. Well, while he's still up on the mountain, he hears the roar of the people and he's thinking, man, they're fired up about me bringing back the Ten Commandments. This is awesome. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what they're doing. This is a bad thing. Moses goes back down the hill and he sees that his number one guy and number two guy helped fashion an idol in the shape of a golden calf and everybody's worshiping it and doing all kinds of crazy things. And then Moses with the Ten Commandments, he's got it there in the tablets that God wrote with his own finger, is standing there in front of him. So you have this contrast of the very law of God and the presence of God and the law of man and the presence of sin. And Moses says, look, you guys blew it. If you want to worship God, come over here and you better do it while you can. And a few did, the rest didn't. And you know, he throws the Ten Commandments, he breaks them, and the ground opens up and just, just swallows up a bunch of people. You know, be careful with those kinds of things. You never know. And then Moses goes back up the hill, and this is where we find our scene, to find out has Israel blown it so much that God will no longer bless Israel? I mean, have, have they messed up so bad that God's going to go, you know, pick the, the Philistines to be their, their people? But So Mo, here we are. Moses is in the presence of God. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses is reminding God all the promises, which actually God doesn't have a short memory. He's reminding himself, which actually isn't a bad thing to do in prayer. When you're praying, like Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, nothing wrong with reciting the brave presence, attributes, and character of God. God doesn't mind hearing that you know it. So this is what Moses is doing. And he says, uh, now, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please teach me your ways. And I will know you and find favor in your sight. Now consider that this nation is your people. In other words, don't forget your promises. Remember what you said. Then he replied, my presence will go with you. This is God speaking. And I will give you rest. If your present does not go, Moses responds. So he's, he's talking back to God. Look, okay, your presence is going to go with me, but let me make this clear. If your presence doesn't go with me, uh, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your, and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people in the earth. That's verse 16. So he's saying this. He's saying, listen, I want to know you. Have you ever noticed, I hope some of you have, 
Have you ever noticed that God is invisible? You ever notice that? He's invisible. And, and, and a lot of the critics, atheists, agnostics, doubters, haters, they, they bring that up in our face. You know, they'll say, hey, uh, if God is real, then why doesn't he just show himself? Why there isn't a test tube evidence? And I'm like, dude, there's all kinds of evidence. Test tube, telescope, microscope. God is shouting forth his glory everywhere, but you can't see him. And we can't. And that's a good thing. Because when we see right here what happens when you see God, it is crazy what happens. Because God is holy. We sing about His goodness, which is just a word. We'll, we'll pick up that same word in just a moment, which means the totality of all of your essence, your goodness. And it is otherness than you and me. I mean, your physical frame, your constitution, your soul, your body, my body cannot handle the very presence of God. And so there's another way that God gives his presence where it's not seen in the full Shekinah glory, but it's experienced. And at first is experienced as Moses says, show me your ways. He's begging for it. Now, okay, so back in chapter 20, he gives the Ten Commandments that we read, and right after the Ten Commandments, he gives the law. So the law of God is broken up into three sections. You know that. You've got the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. You have the civil law. They were a, a, a theocracy, so things were run, ran a little bit different before they came up with a monarchy, which God didn't like, but they chose that. But under the theocracy, this is how you do life. And then there was the ceremonial laws. In other words, when you worship, you do this, you offer this calf, this goat, this turtle dove, you, you make a tabernacle. Those are ceremonial laws and you worship God in this ceremonial way. There were civil laws, you did things the way God said under this theocracy, but the moral laws never changed. We're no longer under the ceremonial laws. That's why you don't have, that's why you can eat catfish, by the way, right? And all God's people said. Amen. Yeah, that's why you can have crawdads and you can have lobster. Because Leviticus 19 says, no, 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 that's ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. Don't do it. We're no longer under the, those ceremonial laws. And we're not under their particular type of civil law. We are under the moral law, no question. So here, Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. He goes back up to see God and, God, and Moses says, we want to know your ways. I just broke the law. I broke it to smithereens, and now we need to know. And so God reveals himself through the Ten Commandments. He reveals himself that he is very, very holy and that we are not. He reveals the fact that there is a separation between man and himself and that if there was ever a connection, we would instantly die because he is so holy. Have you ever thought of God being that holy? And you might say, well, he's not that holy. No, 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 really. He's completely holy, completely pure, righteous, always right. He is glorious. And you and I cannot bear to be in his presence. It seems like we've kind of lost that idea, even in the body of Christ. There used to be a time in society, there's a time, when people who never ever went to church, when they'd pass a church, they'd take their hat off. Now they're bombing it and shooting it up. And even people who, who attend church faithfully, 
They, they have an idea that, oh, I can go ahead and sin because God is my co-pilot and he's my buddy, he's my partner, he always rides shotgun, he's the man upstairs. And we see all these things, these ideas about God that really kind of bring God low in character. And it is to our shame. So Moses is saying this, teach me your ways. Because when you know the ways of God, you know the character of God. When he gives the Ten Commandments, they're not suggestions. They're a reflection of who he is. And they accomplish a couple things. Number one, they show us how holy God is. Number two, they show us how sinful we are. And how you can never be saved by obeying the Ten Commandments. You can try, but you might as well give up now because you can't completely obey them. And you come to the conclusion that you and I need a Savior. And that's why we need to be saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. We are saved purely by grace. But that in itself doesn't lower God's holiness at all. God is holy completely, and it should impact how you live. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask us this question. How has God's holiness impacted our life in the last week? I mean, have you ever started to say something or do something and you thought, oh, wait a minute, God's watching and He's holy and that would be really embarrassing, so I'm not going to do it. Has the holiness of God ever kept your mouth in check or your eyes in check or your hands in check where you go, no, I will not profane the name of the Lord. In fact, what you think about God has more of a bearing on who you are than anything else. And I highly recommend, based upon the authority of God's Word, that we think about Him as incredibly holy and righteous. And that's where we learn. Now, some have said there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. I've even had people tell me that. So I only worship the God of the New Testament. And I'm like, look, God is not schizophrenic. He isn't one way one day or one way, you know, a millennial ago and another way now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus made that very clear. He is immutable. He never changes. God is who he is. But he strikes a contract with man in different seasons. And what we're reading right here is the Mosaic Covenant, the contract. And he's saying, Moses, you do these things and I will be this kind of God to you. You do these things over here, and it's not going to go well for you, but you do this, things will go well. We are under a new covenant, and it's the new covenant of the blood of Jesus. And it's centered around love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and your neighbor as yourself. And that's, that's the commandment. That's the covenant. In fact, we restrike a covenant with God. We make an agreement with God again, not through the tabernacle, but through the symbol of the Lord's Supper. I mean... You may tell people, man, our preacher really digs the Lord's Supper. Man, I'm telling you, it's up here. I mean, we're not a ceremonial type of church, and we don't have a lot of symbolisms, but the Lord gave us two things to participate in. That's all. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. One initiates you into the body of Christ. The other one is to confirm you. In other words, it's a continuation. So when we go to the Lord's Supper, it's a time where we say, God, if there's anything I've done that pushes away your presence, I repent and I come back and I'm toasting the, the new covenant and the new agreement that I walk in the power of the blood of Jesus. That's what we do together as a church. Oh, by the way, I got some, some news hot off the press. You gotta hear this. We're having the Lord's Supper tonight at 
It just so happens you have an opportunity to re-strike, recommit, enjoy the new covenant tonight at 6.30. God is coming to earth right here so we can do this. It's a big deal. At least for me it is. And I hope it is for you. It's massive. So he goes on, teach us your ways. When you learn his ways, you learn his character. And then he says, then he replied, God says, verse 14, my presence will go with you. Now presence is a big, big deal. Because you know that we were separated, Adam and Eve were separated from the presence of God in the garden and they were kicked out, couldn't go back in the garden. There was a, a cherub that stood there with flaming swords, you couldn't go back in. And there's always been a separation, that's why we don't see God. But we know his ways and we know his character, we hear his voice, we sense his presence, and he's saying, Moses, listen, you guys really messed up, but I will go with you. And then Moses verifies this. And Moses re-verifies. He says, the Lord, Moses says, I will do this very thing. Or the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing, and I will reveal to you all that I am, and my favor is upon you. Then Moses, verse 18, Exodus 33, then Moses says, please, let me see your glory. So they're talking presence. I wanna see your presence. How about your presence? And God says, okay, you have my presence. And then, and then, and then uh, Moses steps it up one more time. And he says, I wanna see your glory. It's kinda like, hey, hey dad, can I have 20 bucks? Uh, yeah, how about 25? <laughs> no. Oh, come on, please, all right. And you give your kids an allowance or whatever. So Moses, he creeped in, he said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the presence of God, and then he asked boldly, boldly says, God, can I see your glory? I mean, do you realize what you're asking for? What is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God, it comes from a Hebrew word that just means heavy. It's just like when, when God enters the room in his glory, the barometric pressure just changes. It's like, mm. And, and the Bible speaks of his, his train, the train of his glory fills the temple. So when you think about God in his glory, you think of two things. One, you think of his righteousness, the, that he is so holy. In fact, uh, Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's what? Glory. He is gloriously righteous. It's his character and who he is. We also learn that it's, it's about his, his attribute or his whole essence in his glory. And so in Bible it's referred to, this comes out of the Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. And it says this, it says, God's glory refers primarily to his majestic beauty and splendor, which is recognized by humans when you see it. However, it is also an ethical concept and embraces his holiness. For to sin is to fall short of his glory, Romans chapter 3, 23. The scripture records that we are to give praises to his glory, and we did that earlier. I don't know if you paid attention to the lyrics, but in the lyrics we specifically said, we are gonna sing praises to your glory. And, and, it, and it's, where, it's where worship stops being me-centered like God give me this and I wanna feel this and I wanna know this. It's where we stop and we just say, to your name, O Lord, to your name, O Lord, not to us, not to us, but to you we give glory. So when you and I start thinking about God in this aspect, 
that we are, because we know His ways, we reflect His glory to Him. It's a whole new concept. In fact, Moses didn't really experience it to the way that you and I can, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Moses saying, listen, I want to see your glory, and the Lord obliges in all of His splendor, in all of His essence. And then he says this, let me see your glory. He said, verse 19, I will cause all of my goodness. Didn't we sing about that song? Scott, if you're in the room, man, you do, you do an awesome job. And we, don't, we hardly ever compare notes, uh, but it's as if the Lord leads him and, and me at the same time. But his goodness is chasing after us. This word goodness here is translated many different ways. It's not just speaking of the benevolent attitude God has to us to make good things happen. It's specifically talking about the sum total of His glory that brings His presence and everything is just right. It's okay now. And so, man, He's talking, I need your glory and I will cause, God says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But He answered, you cannot see my face. For no one can see my face and live, the Lord said. Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back. But my face you will not be seen. Let's be clear, first of all. This is God personifying himself. God does not have a body, right? He doesn't really have a face. He doesn't really have a back. So he's, he's using our language to understand that God is going to come front and center and show a manifestation of his glory. And the only way to describe it in our language is face and back, right? And so he said, that's what I'm going to do. And then let's skip on down to where he does it. Well, well, in between, the Lord said to Moses, first of all, let's get the word of God right. He cuts out two stones like the first ones, and God writes on it again, and there he has the law, just emphasizing the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. You and I must know his ways if we want to experience his presence and his holiness. That's why we, the purpose of me preaching, sum total, is to teach you how to read the Bible on your own. Bottom line, so that when you meet with God, you're learning the precepts and the principles and the statutes, and you, in essence, are coming to know God in a powerful way. You can't see Him, but when you know His ways, you experience His presence. So here's what God does. He says, Moses, you want to see my glory? I'm going to put you in the rock. There's a little crack there. I'm going to put my wing, my hand, I'm going to cover it, and I'm going to pass by. And here's what's happened. The Lord came down in a cloud, verse 5, 34 of Exodus. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name Yahweh. Now, we've talked a little bit about the name Yahweh, right? Yahweh is the to be verb, meaning I am. It's the Hebrew, in Hebrew, it's just I am. Y-H-W-H, that's what it is. Your Bible may say Lord, and usually when Lord is capitalized in your translation, it's Yahweh, that's the Hebrew word behind it. And it, it means God, it means so much. And it's basically, it's a name that doesn't identify a character like El Shaddai and all the other names of God, the righteous one, the holy one, the healer, uh, the one who, who restores, the one who protects. All the names of God refer to an action. This name 
refers to his very essence and his very presence. Yahweh, I am, is what it means. And he was proclaiming that. Now, as I, I thought a lot about this, how did God, coming down in his glory, begin to proclaim his own name to Moses? I mean, how did that happen? And what was the purpose? So when, when God's presence comes, he is communicating all that he is to you. And when we receive the communication, when we understand whom God is, then we know him. That's how people talk about who are Christians. They say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you need to have a, a knowledge or a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. And then here's what happens. The Lord came down and he proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer out loud or raise your hand, but man, do you know God like this? Do, do you want to know God like this? Do you have any desire to just know Him more and experience the benefits of God proclaiming Himself to you, revealing Himself to you? Did you know it's possible? In fact, it's very likely if you posture your heart and your soul correctly, then God's presence moves in in a powerful way and things start to melt away on your soul. Man, I've seen this happen time and time again in praying over people and leading their thoughts. That's all, when, I, when we pray, not only acknowledging God, but we're asking people to pray in like mind and their thoughts go from leaving their problems to thinking about the goodness and the glory of God and knowing His ways and then they become a reflector of who God is and it's powerful and I'm telling you, you'll watch two years of counseling take place just like that when you come in contact with the very presence of God and you are, as, as Isaiah said, in the presence of God, I am undone. And then God proclaims his name to you and he makes you back up again. And now you are under his lordship and now he communes with you. And, it's, and this is what God is doing to Moses right now. Moses is upset at the people for what they did. He doesn't even know if God's gonna go with him. He feels like he's in between. And then God says, listen, get in the crevice of the rock. I'm gonna walk by, and that's what he does. And he puts his hand in front of him while he walks by. He says, Moses, don't look. And then as God's walking by, he puts his hand in front of him. Do you know why? Because Moses is like you. You would peek, right? That's why. But there's a real reason, and that is because he can only bear so much. He couldn't completely bear the full glory of God. And God, out of mercy, covered him. And then he says this. He goes on, and he repeats what he says. He says, I am Yahweh. Here's, here's what God is proclaiming to you in his presence when you surrender to him. <clears throat> he is a compassionate and graceful God. <clears throat> slow to anger and rich in hesed, faithful love. This, is, this love is uh, akin to the New Testament Greek word agape or agape, which means I love you no matter what you do, even when you fall, I'm gonna hound dog you down until I find you and I'm gonna convey my love on you. <clears throat> Listen, brothers and sisters, 
when you know the presence of God and you become his child, there isn't anything you can do to make him love you less. Because he has said, I love you, you are mine, and you cannot get away from my love. This is what God is saying to Moses. Don't you want to hear him say that to you? You are mine. You have my name. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life forever and ever and ever. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less. That is Hesed love. Anytime you see loving kindness or an eternal love, that's the word that's usually being used. So this faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to the thousands of generations. In other words, he never stops, but then there is a but in the middle of this. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoings on the children to the third and the fourth generations. That's what will happen. See, God is a God of judgment as well. You ever heard of God's amazing grace? Aren't you happy? God has amazing grace. You cannot understand the amazing grace until you understand the terrible wrath of God. When you and I really get a glimpse of the terrible judgment wrath of God, then the grace looks so beautiful and you run to it. You know when people come to know the Lord, that they, they, they ask the questions and you say, look, and you explain the gospel and they just melt and they grab it and they internalize it and they believe it and their life has changed. It's because they are the ones that know the condition they were in before they met the Lord. And some of us have forgotten that we were doomed for hell and we were doomed for destruction and given over to our own sin. But Christ, rich in love, at the right time, died for his enemies that we could have the presence of God reflect his image. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, remember when somebody would hold your head underwater when you were just playing? Hopefully you were playing, right? And all of a sudden they let you up and you're just like, ah. That's what happens when you get saved under the judgment of God and all of a sudden the Lord rescues you and you're like, amazing grace. Once I was lost, now I'm found. The one who loves most is because they've been forgiven much, right? And that's what is said. And he goes on and he explains this so perfectly of who God is and what he is really like. And immediately, verse eight, Moses bows down to the ground and he worships. The universal result of coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is bowing, lordship, and worship. Just worshiping, giving glory to his name. Fast forward the picture to the resurrection of Jesus. This is beautiful. Jesus made the comment when he was standing in Romans, in John chapter eight, Scott read from that earlier, in that same text, he's right before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're pointing their fingers at him and they're saying, who are you really? Who are you really? And, and Jesus says this, I am, I am. And all these Sadducees and Pharisees knew exactly who he was claiming to be. God in the flesh revealing his presence completely. And then in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 and Acts chapter two and Romans chapter eight, the great I am has taken his presence and put it right inside of you in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. 
to where we have inside of us as Christians, we have the presence of God, and as we follow his ways, we are the direct reflection of who God is, and not only does it minister to you when you yield to it, but it ministers to everybody around you. Just like Moses said right here, he said, send us your presence so that we will be distinguished from all the other people. It's right there in verse 16, chapter 33. Give us your presence so that we will be distinct and unique because we have the very presence of God. Body of Christ, listen to me. Dearly beloved, listen. As you've responded to the great I am and he has given you his presence through the Holy Spirit, there should be a mark of distinction in your life to where you come in the room, um, things change. And not just at church, but at home and at work. See, God was working through Israel to reach the nations. There's no question about that. And in the New Testament, God has put his spirit. Jesus comes and lives right inside of you and inside of me so that we can make a difference in this world because of how you and I respond to the presence of God. Let me sum it up. God is so holy, he could fry you at any second because you deserve, I deserve judgment. Don't ask God to give you what you deserve. Don't ever ask that. That's not a good prayer. Ask God for mercy. So God is holy. In his presence, we incinerate. And judgment is forever and ever. But what he has done and what he makes available for you and for me is for us to be in the rock, in the Lord Jesus Christ, covered by his blood and protected from the judgment of God. So brother and sister, you have the presence of God in you now and ultimately you'll be in a Shekinah glory if you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And you get that way simply by bowing down to him and worshiping him for who he is and what he did. And you can have eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, might you have your way in our hearts might we see you as holy and high and lifted up. Lord, might your presence fill this room in a very unique way. And Lord, might you draw us to yourself. Lord, I believe everybody here wants to see you. Everybody here wants your presence. And Lord, I pray that in your mercy, you would draw us to Jesus. You know you're being drawn to Jesus when you see him as your savior and your master, for there is no other. He will show you his ways and you will receive his presence and you will be a reflector of his presence, just like Moses was when he came, came off the hill carrying the word of God. So will you. Your life will be changed. You may say, you know what, Brother Mac, you don't know all I've done. You don't know all the hang-ups and hold-ups and bondages I carry. You don't know the burden I walk in. Listen, you're right, I don't, but I do know this. Your sin, your failures, your disappointments are no competition to the presence of God. He will change you. He will take the ashes of your life and turn it into beauty. He will take the scars and he'll turn them into trophies for His grace. 
All we need now is for you to say, I'm willing. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamitas Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.